This is Tech Press Critique. Today is Wednesday, September 5th. I'm Abraham Hyatt, Managing Editor at ReadWriteWeb, and this is a weekly look at how the online media are covering technology. In today's episode, I talk with TechCrunch writer Ryan Lawler about his recent, hugely controversial post about embargoes. For the non-journalists, an embargo is an agreement between a news organization and a company or PR firm. The news site agrees to not publish certain information until a specific date or time. And in return, reporters are given advanced knowledge of the news. So theoretically, this gives us time to do research and interviews and then write a story that has more substance than something just written on deadline after the news was announced. But just as often, the result is lazy journalism, where public relations teams spoon-feed reporters news. A few weeks ago, TechCrunch writer Ryan Lawler woke up one morning and found that another blog had broken an embargo that he'd agreed to. TechCrunch has had a thorny relationship with embargoes. For years, its writers would regularly agree to them and then proceed to publish a story at will. This drove PR people and journalists at other news sites insane. You always get the scoop if you're always first to publish. Now Lawler was on the receiving end, he had to decide whether he wanted to write about news that was already 12 hours old. Instead, he wrote a post explaining why he wasn't going to cover the story since someone else had. Because as he wrote, quote, no one ever wants to follow someone else's story, end quote. Unfortunately, he came across as extremely glib. A reporter who cared more about who was first and his personal feelings on the matter than someone who wanted to cover news. Readers hated it. In the comments and across social media, they called it condescending, self-righteous, passive-aggressive, egotistical, childish. His boss from a previous job and even a former TechCrunch writer slammed him. Two days later, Lawler posted a 1900-word mea culpa on his own blog, trying to do damage control. Some examples, quote, I should not have made myself look like a huge douche, end quote. What got lost in the douchery was the original point he was trying to make, namely, that embargoes suck. My intent was really just to get people talking about, you know, how embargoes work and what it means for reporters. The way that we handle these things as a tech blogger collective is, you know, more harmful to the subjects that we cover than it is, you know, for ourselves. Um, it's almost kind of like we're doing, we're doing our readers a disservice in the way that we're typically taught to, to deal with these types of situations. And so, you know, that ends up sort of becoming what my story is about. So part of this is this, you know, underlying story that TechCrunch has its own long and problematic, uh, well, problematic for somebody on the outside, relationship with embargoes and how it treats them. You, I know you mentioned it in the post, but what happened when Michael Arrington left? Did that, did that uh, culture immediately begin to change um, after he left? I mean, but, you know, there, there was never any, I don't want to say there was never an organizational edict to handle embargoes one way or the other. You know, there were certainly times, even while Michael Arrington was there, that TechCrunch accepted and abided by embargoes. Um, so it was, it was always situationally safe. I'm one of the newest uh, writers at TechCrunch right now. I joined three or four months ago, you know, the people that were hired, people that have come on board over the last nine to 12 months. 
um, are perfectly fine with embargoes, and and there's no pressure to handle them a certain way or to break them or whatever. But you know, we still have that reputation. Yeah, yeah. I I personally do not like embargoes. <laughs> you say in your post that what's really broken is the process. So, okay, how do we fix the process? I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm not offering up solutions, right? In cases, I think the best thing a company can do is an embargo. I mean, in the case with West, you know, the company that um, the entire situation was around, they had a new product. They wanted to tell as many people as possible, and it's both to tell as many people as possible with a launch like this without letting the press know. I think part of it is that as, as writers, as reporters, we to actually be cognizant enough about what we decide to cover. Some of us have to do a better job of that, of actually deciding like what's, what's worth covering. Don't just cover it because you know, a PR person came to you before launch and because of this expectation that the other news outlets will, will be writing the same story. Right. I mean, it's hard no matter what. I mean, do you think that news organizations are going to be able to exert more influence over PR people or, or companies and say, look, the system is flawed. There's another way to do this. Uh, or do you think we're just trapped in this model? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, that, and that's the thing that, you know, we're all in such a hyper-competitive market. You know, the thing that surprised me the most about the reaction from so many of the readers on the site in the comments section was a lot of them said, well, hey, you know, TechCrunch is my source of tech news. You know, they really hammered home that point that not covering this because of some outside factor, because, you know, someone else the embargo or someone else went first or you thought the news would fail is really um, doing your readership of the service because at the end of the day, they don't care. They don't really think about that. Ultimately, if there's a product or a team or a technology worth writing about, I think we need to do a better job of just writing about it regardless of when the other guy published. I think we could all do a better job with this. Um, I don't think anyone is sort of a, a saint from this perspective, uh, at least in the tech blog world. But, you know, it's a very sort of idealistic, utopian way of looking at things, right? Thanks for rehashing this with me. Yeah, I'm glad I was able to take the time. You can find links to the stories we talked about on this episode at abrahamhyatt.com. You can also subscribe to, comment, or rate this podcast on iTunes. A quick disclaimer, my employer, ReadWriteWeb, and its parent company, Say Media, are unaffiliated with this podcast. Bobby McElver composed our music. He's Bobby McElver on Twitter.